Well, good morning. It is uh, good to worship together, good to be together. Um, I'll embarrass Cole. It's wonderful having you here. Um, Cole Dyke is lead pastor of Frontier Church in Des Moines. They just had uh, their third child just very recently, and um, so he's just coming to be a part of another church. And man, I, I love how Jesus builds churches and is on the move. He's on the move here. And uh, for me, that would be enough, and I'd be tired and nap a lot, you know, but like Jesus is alive and well, it can be actively building churches all over the world. And so, uh, man, if you want to ask Cole how we can pray for him and come around him and stuff, or just uh, give him a high five, but uh, I love what Jesus is doing in Des Moines at Frontier, and I love what he's doing here. Uh, He does good things, and today is one of those places where we're at as we're preaching through the book of Genesis, we, we, we believe that we don't have to, like, I don't worry all week, like, what's, what's something clever I can say? What's something I can make up? What's something that I can try to, to keep people's attention or something? It's like, man, how about we just go through the word of God and hear what he has to say? And that can be terrifying <laughs> because of what he has to say. Um, both in an incredibly encouraging way and the type of things that he could call us into that would be terrifying unless he's involved. And if he's involved, it's invigorating, life-changing, and man, um, requires everything of us and nowhere else we'd want to be than in his will following him. And where we're at today as we're preaching through the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible written by Moses a really long time ago, and cutting edge at the same time, like feels hot off the press for our life today. And we are in Genesis chapter 22, and I would say this is one of the most famous moments in the Old Testament, like top 50 moments in the Old Testament, Um, certainly one of the most iconic moments in the book of Genesis And if we're truly seeing that God has given us his word and lets us observe how he interacts with people, knowing that he's the same. Setting character plot might be different. We weren't involved then, but he was, and he's the same. And so the things that we can truly learn from Abraham's failures, which are many and very dramatic, and I won't go over all those, but you're welcome to, we have a podcast or, or just go back into the book of Genesis and read it for yourself. Um, but if we can learn from Abraham, from Abraham's lessons, that they would actually be our lessons, that his failures would, would give us wisdom and direct our lives for our walk with the same God and actually have the faith that's possible that Abraham had. Just a, just a guy. What, what made Abraham's faith extraordinary was who his faith was in. Not just that Abraham had the superstar faith, but it was the object of his faith that made it extraordinary. And that is what's on the table for us today as well. So Genesis 22 is where we're gonna be today. And verse one starts by saying this. After these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Simple words in that sentence. It's a simple sentence, but look how it starts. 
after these things. So if we're really seeking to track with this verse, it would be good to like stop and do a review of everything that's happened until after these things. So we, we would look at Abraham's life and people would say, we would say, looking at his life is, man, that guy's life has been hard. The road that he has walked down is a road that I hope I never have to walk down. Um, I think we would say along the way, he was greatly tested. And we're talking about a guy who is over 100 years old. And so a guy who has gone through a lifetime of hard things, a lifetime of hard testing, and God says, hey, I'm gonna test him. I think we could say like, I think you've done that already. Like, I'm pretty sure you have exhaustively tested him. Um, Started by saying, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your land, leave where you're from. You know, kind of know, like if you're, my family first moved to this area in the 1850s to farm. And so like, this is where I'm from. (laughs) And for a long time, this is where my family's been from. And you know, if it's like, hey, you guys are now gonna be people who live in San Francisco, I'd be like, man, that is not who I am. That is not the, that's not where I'm from. But God tests him by saying, hey, leave and I will tell you where you're going when you're on the way. Trust promises that God gave him that seemed utterly impossible for them to ever be fulfilled. Decade after decade after decade, Abraham and Sarah were trusting God's promise that this epic story is gonna happen from your son who's coming and they struggled with infertility their entire lives until they're in their 90s. You know, think about what it would take to even think that that is still possible. Post-menopause, you know, being like, yeah, there's no chance any of the things God's saying to us are gonna happen. Decades they were living that way and um, Abraham is well over 100 years at this time, 100 years old, um, and man, I, I imagine he's tired. <laughs> I'm like 45, almost 45, and I feel like I can go hard and get tired, like, like serious tired. Um, and I'm sure he has these moments And what we know is God has decided to test him at this place in his life. We know this, but he doesn't know this. I think sometimes if like God came up to you and said, hey, I'm about ready to test you, you could go into like test mode and be like, okay, I'm gonna hunker down. I'm gonna, I know this is probably gonna not last forever. I'm gonna be tested. Okay, test me. But it's different when you don't know that you're being tested. I think one way it can feel different is you could just be like, man, this is just hard. Why is it so hard? Maybe what have I done wrong to make it so hard? And what God is going to do here, I think it's easy to, it's, it's easy even to, for Abraham to miss it when he doesn't know he's being tested. So it's a different level of a test when you, know it's, when you don't know it's a test. 
And God calls Abraham's name. See that in verse one? God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. I spent some time this week thinking, if God said, Tim, would I be like, no one is here. <laughs> He's gone on a long walk. You know, or, you know, because you're like, hey, even if you suspect a test is coming, you could easily hide Run, run for your lives. He's about ready to test us. And it just struck me that Abraham said, I'm right here, here, right here. I'm right here. Man, like that, that actually, uh, it sounds a little weird, but that moved me this week. Just Abraham saying, here, you know, it made me think, like, what's that version for us, you know? Oh, I'm thinking about God. Oh, quick, get out my phone. Try to think about something else. But to be like, hey, God, I'm right here. This is where I'm at. This is where my life has found me. I am here. And what God tells Abraham is shocking. If it doesn't shock you, I would say you're not hearing it. What God tells Abraham is shocking for him to hear. It's shocking for us to hear. Look at verse two. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Period. Message sent. Take your son, your only son. Fascinating that God chooses to say it that way, because remember, Abraham has another son, Ishmael. But he's saying, hey, no, I want you to and Abraham, as we had gone through, had sent Ishmael away. That was one of the testings where he failed the test. Hey, here's this promise coming. Well, she can't have a baby, so I guess we need to force this thing, and we need to force God's promises to happen, and let's take matters into our own hands. That type of thinking never works. And so, so what ended up happening is that God said, hey, I'm gonna take care of him. Um, I'm gonna, I see him, I see Ishmael. You can send him away. And God refers to Isaac here as Abraham's only son, the only son of the promise that's coming, the only son of Sarah and Abraham, the only son whom the redeemer of the world is coming. There's a redeemer that's going to redeem the world and he is going to only come through Isaac the only son who will be the one that all of these promises will come about, the Lord of life will come from only Isaac. All nations will be blessed by who will come through Isaac's lineage, your only son whom you love. So you, we can't detect a heartless God here. He knows Abraham loves his son. And God tells Abraham, I want you to go to the land of Moriah and kill your son there. 
the, we'll see the wording even is used as slaughter him. And then when he's dead, offer him as a burnt offering. What an archeology span has shown us uh, there, uh, uh, I've been on an area in Israel where they were like, oh yeah, this is where they would sacrifice children. Um, and it's grotesque and evil, demonic. Abraham is to do to Isaac what the evil, demonic, lowercase g gods were demanding, so to speak. People thought they were demanding this to be like, take what you love most and offer it as a sacrifice and it will rain and you will have rain for your crops, things like that. Um, there is wicked, uh, all sorts of wickedness that God is judging uh, in the future as, as uh, people move into Israel as, as what's coming. Moses, then Joshua leads the people in and ends up conquering many of these things by the power of God. But shockingly, God asks Abraham to do this to his son. On a distant mountain, Mount Moriah, do it there. If, 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 if it was any of us, we would be like, this can't be, um, would be an easy reply. Ah, I, I don't know if I heard him right. Can't be. Abraham had waited decades for God's promise to come about. And the sun is here. Let the good times roll. Like the sun is here. The promises are coming. And if you think about it, <laughs> the greatest enemy of God's promises at this point is God himself. So Abraham could replay all of, like God, Isaac is your gift to, the, to us, your gift to me and my wife. I have written down all of these promises that you tell me are gonna happen through him. And now you're telling me to slaughter the one I love. Um, like, that's how I would be reasoning things. That's what I would be thinking about. And uh, I would be really struggling. What do I do? Abraham, I feel like, has a great case against God, using God's own words against him. Abraham could correct God, tell God, this is not possible, this doesn't feel like you, not right. Abraham could cling to God's gift of his son, even cling to God's words from the past. So that's all kind of letting you in ways I would think about it. Abraham's actions are stunning. Look at verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. So there, there's no two-sided conversation. That's not recorded. It didn't happen. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
It made me think about when we were at Estes Park for our youth camp. You know, like there, we would debate like, hey, how far away do you think that mountain peak is? And it, we, we varied from like five miles to 50 miles. You know, we were like, we have no idea how far away that is. But from a distance, we were like, like and some of the middle school boys were like, I'm going to wake up early and get to the top of that. And we were like, no, you are not. You know, uh, we're... We're, your parents, you, know, you have parents who care about you. You're not going to do that. Um, but what I th- find really interesting here is like, for where we're at in the book of Genesis, for Abraham to actually even get up early to obey God's clear word to him, knowing this is not an ask from a heartless God, he's gotten to know him. Abraham's actions are not the actions of a heartless dad. God's even affirmed, you love him. Abraham loves Isaac, and Abraham's life seems to be, his life seemed in the past to be centered on having Isaac. And Abraham, though, has learned to love God to trust his God even in the most absolute central part of his life. Like if it's like find the core of Abraham and you'll find what he's about. And you would would go past Isaac and find a new core of what he's about. And we're seeing his actions. He's he's being a man of action. Like I'll I'll let my, my actions speak for themselves. Um, Abraham doesn't delay. He gets what's needed for the trip. He gets his son and even some other guys to help with the trip. He gets what's needed to make the offering. And it takes them three days just to get close enough to be able to see where they're going. And I absolutely cannot, like we do not know what is happening inside Abraham on this journey. We, we don't know. We will, we, Lord willing, we'll have the opportunity to, to thoroughly talk to him about this one day. But right now, we can only think, imagine, pray, look for clues. Um, Abraham could have been full of grief, wiping the tears away. He could have been full of grief. Abraham could have been full of peace. We, we do not know. We can only, only observe here that we see four guys walking that direction where God told them to go. Then verse five. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am. Same phrase as verse one. Here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So we haven't seen into Abraham's mind, into his heart in three days, but it's fascinating that Abraham tells the young men that he and Isaac are going to worship God, to give God the weight that he is due in their lives, to have him be the center of their lives. So you can start seeing the, the way his heart is going. Um, it reminded me of uh, one of the middle school boys on our trip to Colorado. Um, we, we like got together one time, we were sitting around and just like, hey, what's God showing you? What's been happening? And, and this, this young man, I was really fascinated because he said, he said, man, something's happened, something happened, you know? And it's like, like, I could tell something happened that he didn't quite know if he could get it out into words, you know? And we were like, well, wh what's going on? And he was like, for the first time in my life, I, during this worship time that we had, he was like, I wasn't thinking about anything, anything in the past. And he was like, and I wasn't thinking about anything in the future. He said, I, I wasn't thinking about anything in the past, anything in the future. And he said, and I actually, he's like, I'd never do this, but I actually focused on the words that I was singing. He was like, I, I, it was like there was no past, no future. I was just focusing on the words I was singing and I realized my hands were in the air. I was worshiping. He was like, that happened for like five minutes. <laughs> and you know, I was, it was really cool. You know, and I was like, wow, five minutes. I was like, let's pray it happens for six minutes next, you know, tomorrow night and stuff. And, and it led to really cool conversation and neat things and stuff. Um, I, I just picture like he was swept up in being present with God and realized he was worshiping um, in the way that a, a middle school boy can articulate. Um, and I think like Abraham is in that place a little bit of like, hey, I don't know past, present, future. I'm just, my eyes are on God. We're worshiping him. And Isaac is noticing that this is happening. Isaac is like, hey, dad, whenever we do this, we have a lamb with us. Where's the lamb? Like Abraham could say, hey, buddy, it's you. Abraham could say like, hey, God has asked us to be you. But I don't, Abraham isn't lying here. I think Abraham is just truly like, God is going to provide the lamb. The lamb that will be offered will be God's provision for us. God will provide. Abraham is following God. God will provide. God will provide. Um, man, this, one of my prayers for our church has just been that, that the aspect of God will provide would just saturate us. I mean, I, I woke up at like 4 a.m. this morning like a bolt of lightning. I'm awake. And in my mind was just a lot of to-do list stuff, a lot of personal things before we, in a couple weeks, we're gonna uh, be gone for a week. So I, I had like all these personal things. I was like, oh man, I, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. And then I had stuff just 
feeling in my heart of just like, man, I want to have healing here. I, I want to see God change this. And then feeling things for my kids, feeling things for, for our church. Like just, I, I just felt like I woke up with 50 things on my mind. And there's this song by this guy named John Guerra that, um, that it's just this, it's trust in the Lord, the Lord will provide. And I actually just like turned it on, turned it really low volume, and just kind of laid back down, just like, God, you will provide. Everything you will provide. We can trust you because you will provide. And this is a good answer at the time. It's a good answer at all times. But it's an answer that has Abraham and Isaac start ascending the mountain. Trust in the Lord, the Lord will provide. Mount Moriah, and it's crazy. It, more than likely, um, all the evidence points to this is the mountain where the temple was built. So the temple of the Old Testament was built on this place of sacrifice. And even if you went into the temple, you would find the rock that's there today. You could go there in Jerusalem. And, and so where God would provide for the sacrifices of his people, but where God himself would provide the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world is all happening at this place. So if you could just fast forward throughout thousands of years, you'd see like God is providing. He's, they're looking to him to provide um, and the sacrifice of God's son on the cross for us would be right in this area as well. But at this moment, Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain, trusting God to provide, for God himself to provide the lamb. Verse nine. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. We, we don't know any conversation that's taking place be, between Abraham and Isaac. There doesn't seem to be any struggle between the two of them. Abraham loves Isaac completely. Isaac, it seems, trusts his dad. Abraham binds Isaac like he would bind an animal. Uh, we don't know how old Isaac is, but he's old enough to understand what's happening, question what's happening. He's old enough to climb the mountain with his dad. Um, he, was, he is laid on top of the wood. We don't know if Abraham is weeping uh, we don't know if hours have passed by or just seconds. But we know that Abraham reaches out his hand, grasps the knife, and the son that he had waited decades to have, the son God had promised would live a long life and have an eternally crucial lineage. Abraham is following God's way and takes the knife to slaughter his son. And um, in this moment, I'm grateful for Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, it lets us in on Abraham's thoughts in this moment. Hebrews 11 verse 17 says, by faith Abraham, 
when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered, Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So Abraham, we get in a little bit of what he's thinking. Abraham is considering, and realize this, if we're like, oh yeah, he raised Jesus from the dead, like, yeah, that's what he does. None of that is known at this time. It's never happened before. You know, Abraham doesn't have like 66 books of the Bible that he can flip through. He's got, he's got nothing. He's living it in real time. And Abraham is considering that even if Isaac is slaughtered, using the language of verse 10, which I know is creepy language, but this is the language that we're supposed to think of this with, is that even if Isaac is slaughtered and then burned, Abraham knows enough of God. He has seen enough of God. He knows enough of how powerful God is that he's like, he could raise him from the dead. He could do that. So Abraham is so certain of God fulfilling all of the future promises with such clarity to him that even the death of his son does not jeopardize any of God's promises. Even a dead Isaac would not be the end of the story for what God would do in Isaac's life. That's what Hebrews 11 is telling us is motivating Abraham in this moment. Abraham reaches out his hand, takes the knife, now verse 11 of Genesis 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! <laughs> like you can't read that like a, <clears throat> Abraham, Abraham. Like this is like a, I don't know how loud it was in Abraham's ears, but it was like, Whatever is happening in your brain will be completely overtaken by me yelling your name multiple times. Abraham, Abraham! And he said, right here. God, right here. I think it's fascinating too that that in verse one, it's God saying these things, then it's switched here to say it's the angel of the Lord. Uh, then the way it's said later uh, in this passage, this is the second person of the Trinity. I am absolutely convinced that we, we had for sure God speaking, maybe the Father, uh, we, God was speaking generically, we don't know which person of the Trinity, the angel of the Lord here is, and the, the, it would be blasphemous for this not to be God based on what is said later in this chapter. So the second person of the Trinity, the lamb that the father is providing for us who he loves is now stepping into the story. This type of a story will happen and the lamb will volunteer. Uh, Jesus will volunteer, but here, uh, the angel of the Lord calls Abram's name twice. And you feel the intensity of the moment. The angel of the Lord doesn't want Abraham to go through with it. 
our God is not like the God of the Canaanites. Our God does not demand. He is taking us to the brink and then saying, that is not who I am. Don't think that's who I am. Don't think that's how I interact with you people. I am stopping this thing. And Abraham's like, I am right here, ready to hear what you have to say. Verse 12, he said, this is Jesus speaking. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld even your son, your only son from me. The false gods want to just wreak as much havoc as possible. And our loving God just wants us, our hearts, our trust, our attention. I know that you fear me. You you listen to me. Not fear in a like the dad that raises his hand and you, you, you wilt. But more like the coach who speaks and in a sea of voices you hear the coach's voice because you, you, you know that his voice is the voice you need to hear. His way is the way you need to follow. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. So the place of the temple, the place, the area where the angel of the Lord will actually come and step into this place, live the life that we couldn't live, die the death that we should have died to pay for our sins. He will do all of this. He will provide our salvation. And Abraham said, this place is called, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God provides the sacrifice for Abraham. The Lord has provided A saying is developed. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. That's where it's like, that would be blasphemous if this is not God. An angel wouldn't say like, hey, I'm gonna make this promise happen. So he's saying, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Are you blessed? This is the design. You should be like, I am blessed because of what's happening. This is blessing me. Because you have obeyed my voice, Verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. If we're just very simply saying, okay, God is the same, what does this say about God? It says a lot of things. One thing not to miss that it says is he provides. Us rural Iowans are like, Man, I'm really good at providing for myself. Derecho happens, I got it. Got the machinery, got the equipment, you know. Uh, this happens, I can handle it. You know, we're good at saying, I-, I-, I will provide, thank you. You know, God, you go help other people because they're not as good at providing as I am. 
this screams at us, he provides. He provides the sacrifice that even if you tried, imagine how ridiculous, let me suggest this to you. Imagine how ridiculous and evil it would be if Abraham looked back and was like, oh, God provided a sacrifice. And he's like, nah, and he went through with it. That would be evil to be like, God provided the sacrifice. But you're like, no, I, I got it. I don't need this help. Like, I know this is like, an, it's, it's uh, I'm not just trying to like whip us in an emotional moment, but this is what's being communicated to us is like, for you to say, oh God, you've provided this incredible sacrifice that should be a great blessing to me, change my life forever, take my sin away as far as the east is from the west. You, the angel of the Lord, have provided this sacrifice on my behalf. And to be like, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of do my own thing over here. Like, is as mind-bending and what I would suggest is like, it's worth being like, why am I that way? Am it, are there things that I am so blind to that like, would like, if my eyes were open to it, I would, I would be awakened and realize, oh my gosh, God is providing a sacrifice. Yes, let's take it. You know, there's no dialogue between Abraham and Isaac like, what do you think, son? Should we go this or should we do plan B or plan A? You know, it's like, there's, it's so obvious we will accept God's sacrifice because it is what he has given to us. And to provide another sacrifice on our own is, is uh, ridiculous. The Lord will provide. What does this say about us? We trust him to provide. <laughs> and that's Abraham's heart along the way is all the trials, all the tests, all that keeps us up at night, all that wakes us up in the morning is to say, I'm gonna worship God in the middle of this. We're, we're going for worship. I, I don't know exactly how this is gonna work out, but I know I'm gonna be there worshiping. By God's grace, forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to God, I'm all in. God is the center. No, I'm not even wanting his gifts. I'm not even wanting to like just hold on to his words. I'm wanting him. He will provide. I will be at his feet. God himself at the center of our hopes, our dreams, our trials, our tests, our disappointments, our failures, trusting him to provide. He has provided Jesus and he will provide. He has provided, he will provide. And man, my, my prayer for us is like with hearts faithfully looking to him that we can walk into his will for us. We can walk into his way. And there might be as many questions in your mind of like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? But be like, man, have your yes on the table. He's gonna provide those. He's gonna provide the way I can follow him. That's what his invitation to us is. Can I pray that we would be those people? God, we look to you together. Um, this is so much that you're saying in here, speaking so many things to us. And I just pray 
God, that what, if, if what you are saying to a person in here is follow me, give your life to me, let me be your sacrifice, let me take your sin away, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done to others, I have made the sacrifice for that. You can be free and forgiven. If, God, you're inviting someone in here just to let you form in them a trust that you're going to provide. You're gonna provide for their marriage. You're gonna provide for them financially. Like We can trust you to provide for us in whatever way that looks like where we don't have to have a death grip we don't have to be in control. We can let you be in control of our lives. Lord, would we be those people? Whatever you have for us, we want you. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. So if you're at a place where it's like, man, I don't know exactly where I'm at with Jesus, I would encourage you, like, just ask him. Maybe not even rush out of here. I'd love to chat with you, pray alongside you. Um, sometimes we just pray prayers around here that's like, God, if you're real, would that be clear? Would you show me? And it's like, all right. Like, we'll keep praying that. Um, and one of the things that Jesus has designed for us is communion. And this is our way, not just to like take his gifts and run home, but for us to actually commune with him, be with him. Be in his presence. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, I would encourage you, like, don't come to this table. Come to Jesus or pray to him and, and ask him the questions that are inside of you. Um, if, if you have given your life to Jesus, this is his table designed for you to commune with him. This isn't like a, hey, let's just think about him a long time ago. This is a, let's be present with him. Um, this is the t a time of week I feel like we're just heaven and earth kind of blend together. And the way that we do it here is we spend a few moments just opening our hearts to him, uh, praying to him, letting him speak to us in any way, uh, then boldly come down the aisle. Sometimes I joke that it's like, man, if you're coming to Jesus for the first time, push people out of the way, like make a scene, rush to the table, um, and we'll all love every second of it. Um, but uh, we'll come down, take the elements, uh, hold out your hands and my parents will give you the, the bread representing his body. Take wine or juice, obey your conscience there. Uh, then we'll go back to our seats, remain standing, and I'll lead us through taking it together as family. So let's commune with him.